Good morning, everyone. What an awesome morning of worship. I hope and trust that you are still uh, staying with it in reading our reading plan together. And what a joy it is each day to look into God's Word and feast on it and let the Holy Spirit speak to us from the Word and convict us and confront us and comfort us and strengthen us as we read His Word. It's powerful. It is also a powerful thought to think that your church family is doing this also. And as a family, we're hearing the Lord speak to us. And then when we gather to worship, to think about some of those things that the Lord has spoken to our hearts about. Today, I invite you to open your Bible to a very familiar story told by our Savior. It's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter number 8. Jesus was a master teacher. Many have studied his methods of teaching and how it greatly influences our lives. So we're looking at Luke, not Matthew, Luke. Luke chapter 8, verse number 4 is where we're going to begin. And Jesus, this master teacher, he, he used different methods in his teaching and instruction. But one of the things most unique about Christ's teaching was his use of parables, of stories. And Jesus used these powerful stories from daily life Things in a story that people could relate to in their life, in their day. But that story had a spiritual truth. As Jesus told these stories, many were enlightened as they and, uh, came to an understanding of a truth that Jesus was teaching. Sometimes the story left them befuddled. They're not quite sure what that story meant. Others just discounted it altogether. But this was Jesus' method, and God was using those stories in very unique and powerful ways to carry out his work in people's lives. So today, we're going to look in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, and verse 4. As a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, notice the diversity, he said a parable, story. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock, and when it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. And when it grew up, it produced a fruit, a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know. But to the rest, it's in parables, so that looking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. 
The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who've heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, having no root. These believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, they go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit. Amen. As we look at this parable today, this teaching device of our Savior, we want to look at spiritual applications for our life. And as we look at it, this parable really has to do with receiving the Word and about sowing the Word and about the work of God in our hearts and about faith that's in the heart. It's a very familiar story, and today we're going to look at it together. But today I want to look at this story from a slightly different angle as we look at it together. Three important components are found concerning the story. First of all, there's the sower, right? And not only is that sower, who does that represent? Well, it's certainly Jesus. Jesus was a sower. He was the master sower of the Word of God. But also us, we've been called in this harvest field to sow the Word of God. Secondly, there's the seed. What is the seed? That's God's Word. That's the gospel message. And then there's the soils. That's the responses that we see. So as we look into this story, we're going to think about those three, the sower, the seed, the soils. And so today, we're going to look at it together. First of all, the sower. Now, the way that we sow in the fields all around us and in your gardens at home is much different than in the first century. The first century, the soil would be prepared as best as possible, but the seed often was in a strap, uh, a bag that was on a strap over the shoulder of the Palestinian farmer, whether a man or woman, and they would reach into the bag and they would take this precious seed and they would broadcast it into their field. And so the seed would fall on different types of soil. While it was intended primarily for the soil that was ready to receive the seed, some would fall in different places along the field. And Jesus uses this as an illustration. Today, though, I want us to think about, first of all, the sower himself or herself. The sower is meant to sow the seed. And the seed is meant to produce fruit. But if the seed is not sown, if it is not planted, there can be no fruit. 
So Jesus, I want to think about this a little bit differently. What prevents us from sowing the seed? What do you think prevents us from sowing the seed? One of the things I think that prevents us from sowing the seed is disbelief. That somehow we doubt that the, in the power of the Word of God, we doubt that the seed can produce a harvest. We doubt its power. We doubt its effectiveness. And we doubt the simple gospel message can transform lives. We doubt that the simple gospel message can deliver from sin, salvage a marriage, restore estranged relationships, set us free from bondage. Can this simple little gospel message really do something that powerful? I'm here to give you a testimony. Jesus Christ saved me. And he did it by his grace. And that simple power story is powerful. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. Amen. But you see, the evil one wants us to disbelieve, disbelieve in God's power, that it can do great and mighty things. How many of you all believe that God still works miracles in Amen. lives today? And he has used his spirit working in this world, and God has ordained his word, and it is powerful. It does seem foolish, doesn't it? To reach into a bag of seed and take dry, dead-looking seed and cast it out into the dirt and think from it would come spiritual life. Doesn't that seem kind of crazy? But God has chosen the gospel message to be declared to everyone because it is powerful. God has taken the weak things to shame the wise. As a boy preacher, I remember sharing the gospel in the very first church I served. I served in this church in the southern part of Illinois in a little town called DuCoin, Illinois. Some of you know where that's at. I was finishing college and preaching on the weekends and on Wednesdays. It was a coal mining town. Our little church was on the other side of the tracks, literally. Small little church filled with miners and workers and alcoholics and brawlers and little girls and boys came to our church and they started being saved. And then we started go visiting their parents and we shared the gospel story and they started being saved. And brawling alcoholics and coal miners started coming to Christ and being saved. It was glorious. It was glorious. I remember years ago, there was a woman who started attending our church. She lived a very rough life by her own testimony. Too, many, too much liquor, too many men, too much of a wild life. When she started attending her church because somebody had reached out to her daughter, her daughter started coming. Then she started coming with her daughter. I remember one of the members of our church said to me, 
Brother Tim, if she gets saved, I know there's a God in heaven. His name was Bill Tracy, Linda. A few weeks later, Ava Hensler gave her life to Christ, was gloriously saved by the power of God. And Les and their family. Wow, what a glorious thing. God is powerful. My friends, listen to me. Don't you quit sowing. Put your hand in the sack and cast the seed today. It's our only hope. Secondly, disobedience. When we're disobedient, we're not all about the things of God. We're all about ourselves. When we disobey, we become discouraged as well. We refuse to walk in obedience. And when I'm not living obediently, then I don't faithfully cast the seed. You see, when I'm rebelling, when I'm rebelling out of anger, when I'm rebelling out of disobedience, when I'm rebelling because I think better than God. Think about old Jonah. He said, I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'm not going to preach the word you've told me. I'm going to rebel against you. He went down, took, paid the fare, sailed toward Tarshish. Great storm comes into life. God teaches him a lesson. All the sailors are wicked men and unbelievers. And they said, what's the matter with you? And why is this storm? He says, well, I'm a Jew and I'm disobeying God. They said, what's wrong with you? He said, throw me overboard. They threw him overboard and a big fish swallowed him. Now, some of you don't believe that story, but I'm telling you, I believe it. And so the whale, even a, a sorry preacher makes an animal whale sick. And so he threw him up on shore and he headed to Nineveh and he preached and a whole city was saved by the power of God. When you live in disobedience, when you're rebelling by seeking your own self-satisfaction, and somehow it becomes all about me, my wants, my desires, my pleasures, but your life is empty on the inside. You see, I think that some people don't sow the seed because they're eating the seed. Amen. And the result is no one hears. And I die malnourished. But when we repent and your satisfaction is found in Jesus and the joy is in your heart, you can't help but want to cast that seed in a broken world. The third thing, I think, that keeps us from casting the seed, and I think this is prevalent, and I think it's one of the greatest tools in the enemy's tool bag, who subtly works against us so that we will not cast the seed, and that's discouragement, that I become discouraged. And when I see, I think one of the things that causes discouragement is when I see the lack of produce in the soils. And so I look at the seed that's been cast, and in some of the ground, there's no fruit. And I get my eyes on the people and their responses, and some are hard-hearted, and they refuse to listen. I give them the seed of the gospel, and they just ignore it altogether. And others, it seems to fall on very shallow, immature people. They immediately show some interest 
but after a little while, when any kind of trial comes along, they're gone. And I become discouraged because I get my eyes on them and off the Lord. And I'm telling you, people will disappoint you, but the Lord, he will never fail you. Amen? We need to keep our eyes on the Lord. And others, they hear, they seem to respond, but as they're making their journey in this life, the cares and the worries and the interest of other things in this world chokes out the word. And I want to become discouraged. And sometimes in the midst of my discouragement or yours or others, we take off our bag of seed and we don't even wear it. Or we might wear it symbolically, but we don't broadcast the seed of the gospel. When I get my eyes on people, I'll be discouraged. When I get my eyes on myself, I get discouraged. But when I get my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, I'm encouraged to do what God's called us to do. Durish discouragement is all around us. I read a statistic this week that 30% of evangelicals are not attending post-COVID and say they are not coming back to church. 70 to 80% of high schoolers who grow up in a Protestant church, a Bible-believing church, quit attending church altogether between 18 and 25 years old. It's discouraging to see these things. But my friends, it becomes discouraging to me when I see people who sell out and don't follow Christ and they pursue their hobbies and their sports and their careers and their lake house and their retirement leisure and, or, or they quit because they're coddling some hurt or perceived hurt. It's discouraging. But I'm telling you the truth. Don't stop doing what God called us to do. In 2 Timothy, listen to Paul's words to his son in the ministry, young Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead because of his appearing in his kingdom. Tim, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and teaching. The time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves, for they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. And they'll turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside to myths. Wow. Listen to this. Make every effort to come to me soon, Tim, because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world. Even some of the closest followers of Paul abandoned him. I think the other thing that causes us to be ineffective is this uh, displacement. We've taken the word and 
We've displaced it. It's not central to the mission that God has called us to. Sometimes we've altogether replaced it with something different. And so we've filled our seed bags with other things, hoping they'll gather a crowd. We've displaced the gospel with strategies. We've displaced and the gospel and now in churches giving out secular psychology rather than gospel truth. We've filled our seed bags with other things, hoping to gather a crowd. But what we're gathering is fruitless weeds. And there's no harvest of people being spiritually born again. Whatsoever a man soweth, so shall he reap. The word wants us to abandon the good seed for foolish fads. People want the preacher to preach on politics, social issues, prosperity, health, wealth, pop psychology. They find it entertaining. They find it enjoyable. They want us to preach to that. The, you can have your best life now all the time. But that's not our responsibility. We are to sow the gospel seed. It's the only hope we have. What is the sower's task? It is simply to sow the seed. In Luke's gospel, chapter 14, the parable that Jesus tells about the man who was throwing a great banquet. Well, our responsibility is that of the servant in that parable in Luke 14. He says, go and share with everyone. Come, because everything is now ready to those who are invited. But many reject the invitation. But the master says to the servant, then you go out to the streets and the alleys and the city, to the poor and the maimed and the blind and the lame. And you tell him everything is now ready. And he says, I've already done it and there's still room. He said, then go out to the highways and to the hedges and out to the country roofs. And you tell him there's good news. There's a place for you at the banquet house of grace. My friends, that's our job, to share the good news to everybody. Somebody in this room should say amen right there. Isn't this what God has called us to? In Luke 24, Jesus said that we should preach repentance and forgiveness of sins and proclaim it in his name to all nations. We're to stop saying no for people and just start preaching the gospel. Sow the word. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 3, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. Preach the word. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, Christ in verse 17, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ is emptied of its effect. 
For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. Let's preach the gospel. That means to tell the good news. That's your job. That's mine. We're to sow the seed. The seed's been given to us. The gospel. You can't improve the seed. You can't add to the seed. Preach the seed. How are you to preach it? Preach it in love. Don't preach it with hate. Preach it in love. Sow the seed. How's the sower to sow? In Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. When's the last time you wept as you sowed the seed? Wept for the brokenness. Wept for the loneliness. Wept because you see how the enemy has lied and trampled on his people. When's the last time you wept over a son, her daughter, her granddaughter? When's the last time you wept? When's the last time you sowed the seed in tears? Notice, though one goes along weeping, carrying a bag of seed, he will doubtless, he will surely come back again with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Wow. Folks, we are to be so in the seed. And when we do, God will bring the harvest. How are we to sow? Number one, we're to sow liberally. Don't hold back. Liberally cast that seed. Don't piecemeal it out. Little here, little there. You broadcast the seed. Not only liberally, we need to do it faithfully. In season and out. Every season is sowing season. So let's sow the seed faithfully. We should sow, show it, sow it compassionately. We are to be speaking the truth in love. You can take a good seed and drive. My grandmother used to send me out to feed the chickens in the chicken yard. I was scared to death of some of those chickens. They were mean. Some of those roosters, mean. I mean, demonic mean. I mean, this was this were gang warfare where they learned. They studied catch chickens, I'm sure. And so you go out. Tim, feed the chicken. I'd go out and feed the chickens. Some of them get too close. I'd feed the chickens. And I gotta get back in the line. Some and sometimes I'd throw at the chickens. My grandmother said, that's not the way we feed the chickens. I see some people like that too. They take good seed, casting it. You just sow it. And you just sow it in love. Speak the truth in love. Amen? Are you all awake this morning? Amen. And then I want to talk about the seed for a moment. What is the seed? Verse 11, it's the word of God. The seed is the gospel message. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, because you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And then Peter goes on and says in verse 25, this is the gospel proclaimed to you. 
How many of you all believe that the gospel is the only hope for all of mankind? Amen. Because there's only one Savior, and that's Jesus. And the gospel is all about what Jesus did for us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as separating soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is alive. It is the sword of the spirit. It's the weapon he has given us in a wicked world of lostness. The only hope for mankind is sow the seed, which is the living word of God that points us to the, the word of God that can change our lives. Wow. Suppose you were a soldier in the army and you faced your mortal enemy and he said to you, I don't believe in your gun. What would you do? Well, I didn't believe in it. I just laid it down. No. Don't debate with him about it. Use it. Speak the word of God. Preach it. Proclaim it. Tell it with love. And let God do his work in the spirit. Billy Graham was not the greatest debater in the world. He wasn't the greatest apologist in the world. But he faithfully preached the word of God. And you know what? They criticized Billy Graham. They said to him, if you keep preaching like that, you're going to set Christianity back 150 years. And he said, I want to set it back 2,000 years. And his sermons were always this. The Bible says. The Bible says. The Bible says. The Bible says you must be born again. The Bible says... That God loves you with an everlasting love. The Bible says all of sin and comes short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible says the soul that sins will surely die. The Bible says that God demonstrated his own love for you. And while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. The Bible says Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. The Bible says he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. The Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Simple gospel preaching. Lives transformed. Preach the word. That's what Paul said to Timothy. Don't debate it, Tim. Preach it. Preach it. I'm not saying there's not a place for apologetics. I'm not saying there's not a place for great philosophical discussion. But I'm telling you, in a world of lostness, we've got to get back to doing the one thing God Christ called us to do, and that's to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone who will listen. Well... Let's talk about the soils quickly. We've kind of already talked about them. The first soil in this parable is the pathway. 
Now, look with me in chapter number 8, verse 5. It says, the sower went out to sow a seed as he sowed. Some fell along the path. That's the pathway. Between the fields, there were little pathways. And these pathways, these trails are here. And notice what happens to the seed. It's trampled on. And the birds of the sky devour it. So it's stepped on, trampled on. People step on it. Then birds sometimes come and pick it up off the hard pan. In verse number 12, he gives us further description. And it says, The seed along the path are those who have heard, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts that they may not believe. Why does he do this? So that they may not believe and what be saved. The God of this world has blinded their eyes. Their hearts are cold and they're unreceptive. They've bought into Satan's lies and their hearts are hardened. Folks, I want you to listen to me. As the sower, it's not your responsibility for the soils, but to cast the seed. Secondly, the shallow soil. That soil that looks good from the top, but really it's just a veneer of topsoil with lime rock probably underneath it. If you've ever been with me to Israel, you've seen that kind of soil, that kind of terrain. In verse number 6, chapter 8, verse 6, this is what Jesus says, Other seed fell on the rock, and when it grew up, it withered away, since it lacked moisture. There's no place for the roots to go down and get the moisture and sustenance it needs because it's just a veneer. There's hardness Underneath that veneer, verse 13, and the seed on the rock are those when they hear, receive the word with joy. Immediately they receive it, it seems like with joy, but they have no root. And these believe for a while and they fall away. When? In times of what? Testing. Well, the testing in other Gospels is they're persecuted because of the Gospel. And they turn away. You see, they hear it, they receive it, but there's no root. It says they believe for a while, but then they just fall away in testing. One famous professor at Southern Seminary said years ago, a falter at the finish means a flaw at the first. There was something wrong. Something wrong in their heart. Jesus said, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who's in heaven. Testing will come if you follow Jesus. If they persecuted him, so they'll persecute us. Hard and difficult times come. But people abandon, people quit. Sometimes people quit. Some little test comes along their life. Some disturbance, some little hurt feeling, I quit, I'm done, I'm not going to follow Christ, I'm not going to serve him, I'm not going to do his work. How foolish and how immature. 
today, on this day, tens of thousands of Christians in war-torn Ukraine stand in churches and they are lifting their hands and worshiping God and praying while their sons and their husbands are fighting a war. Tens of thousands today sought God and they praised his holy name. And many of them lost a son or they lost a daughter or they lost a family member in war. My friends, don't make this about you. There are also crowded soils. They're crowded because the seed falls on soil that is also filled with weeds. And notice in verse number 7, he says, Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Verse 14, Jesus explained this to us. As the seed that fell among thorns, there are ones who, when they've heard... They go on their way. What does that mean? They continue the journey of life and are choked. Now, what chokes them? What are the weeds? Worries, riches, and the pleasures of life. And they produce no mature fruit. The worries, the anger, the fear, the riches, the riches of the world, if we're not careful, when you desire that more than Christ, you want to be independent of God, not dependent on God. And Satan uses the riches of this world to supplant true faith and dependence on God. Amen. And the pleasures, the very word that we get the word hedonism from, the fleshly desires, trying to find satisfaction in some other fleshly thing than in God. And that chokes out their life. Now I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Listen. If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And you shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. I'm telling you, your faith needs to rest deeply in the truth and in Jesus Christ. Who is the truth? And finally, there's a good soil. Chapter number 8, verse 8. And it says, still other seed fell on good ground. And when it grew up, it produced a hundred times what was sown. And he said this. He called out, let everyone who has ears to hear, listen. Verse 15 says, but the seed on the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word, with an honest, I mean genuine, and good heart. And 
and hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit. They hear the word. They receive it humbly, genuinely, honestly. They hold it because they know it's true. And they endure in it. And God does a work. And he does multiple times more than you could ever imagine. That's good news. And it's the good work of God in us. All those principles about the harvest that are found here and other places in Scripture. One of the principles is you reap what you sow. We need to make sure we're sowing the Word of God. The other principle is this. You reap in a different season than you sow. We want immediate results. You don't microwave this thing. You just preach the word and leave, let God do the work. Amen? Thirdly, you reap more than you sow. I'm telling you what, the abundant harvest that comes by God's grace is greater than you could ever imagine. It is glorious. And it's all to his praise and glory. Because we didn't do it. He did it in us. Isn't that good? Takeaway questions today. Our praise team, praise band's coming in just a moment, and they will lead us. But before they do, these are four questions I want you to consider. Number one, what prevents you from sowing? Or maybe the question first should be, are you sowing the seed? If not, what's preventing you from sowing it? Are you discouraged? Are you just disobedient? Do you have your eyes on other people? What's holding you back? Second question, what seed are you sowing? Are you sowing the gospel or are you sowing other things? Sow the gospel. I'm not talking about sow the seed of politics. That's one thing this world does not need is your pontification about politics. Nobody cares what you think. And it won't change the world. Preach Jesus in a world that's broken. Don't change the gospel. Don't add to the gospel. Preach the word don't try to make the gospel new and improved. It doesn't need any improvement. Amen. Preach the gospel. Thirdly, how are you sowing? Are you sowing lovingly? Are you sowing liberally? Are you sowing trustingly? And trusting in the Lord to do the work? And then the last question is for you. What kind of soil are you? What kind of soil are you? Are you hard? Are you shallow? Are you crowded? 
by other things? Or is it good and genuine soil, deeply rooted in Jesus Christ? God's speaking today. He's speaking to you. This parable is not just something that was told. It's been kept for us by the Holy Spirit. Retained in God's unerring, unerring word. And God's Spirit is speaking to your heart today. Today, if you hear His voice, harden not your heart. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. It's powerful. It's true. It's life-changing. Father, I pray that, Father, we'll learn from this parable. We'll examine our own lives and the priorities of our life and our ministry. Lord, I pray that we be called back sowing the seed. I pray that, Father, that we be repentant of our sin. Lord, if there's somebody here that's never trusted Christ as Savior, I pray that today they would turn, hear the gospel, and be born again. Have your way in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.